0: Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello everybody. This is my second podcast. Um, If you have not listened to my inaugural podcast. The first episode, I talked about how dark and light on a spiritual perspective are two sides of the same coin. And today, I'm headed straight down that duality pathway again. We're going to talk about divine masculine, divine feminine. Uh, You know, it's interesting. Uh, We aim for non-duality in spirituality, but it's useful, I think, to think of Uh, the way that uh, the universe is abundant and diverse, and the way that spirit expresses itself in all its very many ways. Uh, But it's all part of one. Divinity is one thing, and we're all a part of that. And that's the beautiful thing. And today I'm going to talk about divine masculine and divine feminine and how that can be sometimes a sticky topic, particularly when we get to talking about gender and how we represent gender spiritually. Uh, There is the principle of gender in... uh, I'm just going to pull this up so I can read the uh, the exact quote here. So the Emerald Tablet, if you're not familiar, this is a pretty ancient piece of writing. We have no idea where it originates. There's lots of legends about it originating before ancient Egypt and showing up in all kinds of different cultures. Whatever the truth of the history of this document, we call it an emerald tablet because originally it was supposed to be inscribed into a green stone tablet. It has had an effect on spirituality, particularly in the Western world, for millennia like it's been around for very very long time you see it showing up in uh, Greek you see it showing up in you know the thoughts that get filtered through Western religion so regardless of its uh, you know of its history of its actual history which is frankly probably lost we you know we don't really know Uh, it's had a real effect and it is a foundation of Western spirituality it's attributed to uh, somebody called Hermes Trismegistus which means you know Hermes the thrice great also known as thoth thoth being associated with the the Egyptian god of writing and uh, knowledge and that sort of thing uh, and you know there's lots and lots of legendary stuff about different incarnations and that sort of thing again regardless of its actual history it you you can't deny that it has a profound effect on Western spirituality, Western thoughts. Uh, There there are whole systems of hermetic spirituality that get filtered out. If you look at any of the sort of occult traditions or the secret society traditions, you know, Freemasonry to uh, the Golden Dawn, to any of those things, this hermetic thought absolutely permeates that stuff. And if you know, um, so I'm, you know, I'm coming to you from the United States. If you know the history of the United States, a lot of our founding fathers were in fact Freemasons and, and filtered a lot of their belief systems into what we have, you know, our form of government, everything from our form of government to the way that uh, monuments were laid out in Washington, D.C. and all kinds of stuff like that. It's cool stuff. If you're really interested in in alternate history, you can really go down the rabbit hole with that one. But from the Emerald Tablet, there are these seven hermetic principles, right? And so uh, these are – they're spoken sort of as truths. And I'm going to talk about this particular one, which is the principle of gender, and it states, and again, this is an English translation of who knows how many <laughs> translations down the line. Uh, the English translation is, gender is in everything. Everything has its masculine and feminine principles. Gender manifests on all planes. Okay, that's a pretty big statement, right? Saying that everything has its masculine and feminine principles. in In the Western world, in the world that I grew up in, you know, I grew up in a time where mostly, you know, men were men, burly, you know, the, the stereotypical, um, you know, the stereotypical thing, boys, boys wore blue, girls wore pink, that whole deal, right? This is where gender, the idea of gender gets a little sticky because there are all of these cultural overlays with what, what it means, what masculine and feminine means. Um, and, it's important to point out that, uh, you know, the, the tablet, this quote about masculine and feminine is not necessarily about biological sex, although it does apply. And it's not necessarily about gender identity, although it does apply, right? Um, we're now living in an age where um, gender identity is, you know, f- uh, ex- accepted that it's a little more fluid, that people don't necessarily comply with the gender they were assigned at birth. They don't necessarily identify with uh, their, you know, their chromosomal uh, sex assignment, um, that sort of thing. And uh, you know, obviously that bucks the system, that bucks the tradition, and there are a lot of anytime you anytime you change the way society is, there, there is backlash. Um, that being said, there are traditions all over the world for more than two genders. Um, you know, there are, in some cultures, they recognize as many as five genders and, um, you know, they're, they, they recognize intersexual people and all of those things. This is not really about that. This is not really about those things. Um, I just want to say personally, um, you know, in my life, I want people to be who they are. I want people to be able to be comfortable, to be free, to express themselves however they identify. And, um, you know, to me, that's a beautiful thing. To me, it is diversity is is wonderful. If you look around the universe, diversity is the rule; it's not the exception. If you look at the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, the minerals, the elements, the stars, everything, we live in such a diverse universe. How could we not reflect that as human beings, right? How could we not accept and reflect that, that diversity is, you know, it makes us stronger for one thing. But again, we're going on to sort of divine, divine masculine, divine feminine, Right, So if this principle holds true that gender exists on every plane, there's a masculine and feminine on every plane, that would include what we consider sort of the divine plane, the unity. Um, And it's interesting to think that the unity could be divided into two things, but the unity, the the non-dual reality, um, you could call it God, you could call it the universe, you could call it the multiverse, you could call it the source, whatever your word for that is, um, that extends into everything. It is everything. It is everything that there is, right? And I want to give you some examples of how masculine and feminine show up in everything, but let's talk a little bit about what we mean by masculine and feminine. And it's a little weird. um, Those words, some people are starting to replace those words when they're talking about spirituality because they get wrapped up in the whole politics of gender and sex and that sort of thing, but these are this is the you know this is the tradition. This is how things have been described for thousands of years: the masculine and feminine principle. If you think about, you know, sort of Eastern spirituality, Taoism, in particular, you have yin and yang, or in and yo in, in Japanese. Uh, you have yin and yang and. You know the the sort of the representation of that is the swirly symbol of uh, dark and light, right? So again, going back to my my last podcast where we talk about darkness and light being two sides of the same coin, the light side was seen as yang or masculine, and the dark side were was seen as yin or the female side, feminine side, not necessarily female, but feminine side, and there are Principles associated with the ideas of masculine and feminine. The other thing I'll say is they cannot be separated. You can't have one with the, without the other, right? You can't pull those principles apart in isolation. And so, the masculine or yang side was seen as active, uh, light. Um, you know that. You know that sort of thing. So anything that's sort of active. Um, was seen as, as young. And so the, the dark side was seen as passive or dark, right? And that's the inside, the, fe- the feminine side. This does not, you know, language is hard because I'm not meaning to assign value to anything. There is nothing better or worse about active or passive. They are equally important. I'll give you an example of that from human life right? We cannot, you know, we're active during the day, and we sleep at night. And if you think that being passive is not as important as being active, I don't recommend you try this. But uh, if you've ever, I, I, have, uh, I have twin daughters, and I think at one point I had gone without sleep for three or four days in a row when they were first born. Uh, I can tell you that being passive is critical you cannot separate one from the other. Um, you realize why they use, if, you've, if you have children, particularly if you have multiples, uh, you realize why they use sleep deprivation as a form of torture, right? You have to go through that. You have to go through the rest stage. It is so important. It is about renewal. It is about gathering. So gender, in this perspective, like it's weird to think of waking and sleep as gender, but this is really what the Emerald Tablet is talking about, right? The active principle. If we replace, if we replace masculine and feminine with active and receptive, or active and passive principles, um, it might make a little bit more sense. But traditionally, we've used masculine and feminine, and I'm going to talk about the divinity of that today as well. So just in human life, we have times of activity and we have times of passivity. And rest is, rest is as important, if not more, than activity. Anybody who has uh, worked out, been a bodybuilder, tried to build up some muscle, knows that the active part of your workout, right? When you go to the gym and you lift some weights, that's a stimulus for growth. But the actual growth, the actual time that your muscle grows is when you are resting. And if you don't get enough rest, if you uh, go to the gym and you work out every day and don't give yourself enough time for recovery, you get injured. You don't get stronger, you get weaker, you get injured. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's a truth. And that shows you why both parts are equally important. So... I know I, I quoted him in the last podcast as well, but I think he's, he's a brilliant dude, and um, you know, there's the Western philosopher, uh, for lack of a better better term for him, Ken Wilber, and he talks about the principles, the, the masculine and feminine principles of divinity as these sort of impulses, and I like that. I like, um, I like these, these drives, and it makes a lot of sense to me the way he describes them. So the masculine divine principle, in this case, he calls eros, right, which is, the, which is a love principle. But the eros impulse is the impulse for things to evolve, to be active, right? We um, go through evolutionary stages as a species. We go through evolutionary um, processes as an individual, Okay, so we started out as children, and we grew up, and we went to school, and we bedded ourselves, and that impulse—that is—that is is, uh, part of the divine masculine. The divine masculine is to evolve um, back to divinity, is to evolve back to divinity, is to become a greater holon, right—an individual um, package, as it were, right? And it's very individualistic in that respect. The divine masculine is somewhat individualistic. It's about sort of personal development and bettering oneself and that sort of thing. On the other hand, the divine feminine, he calls by the the name agape, which is another word for love, right? And this is about gathering, community building, um, pulling, as you develop through the masculine, it's about pulling others up. And those principles acting together in any individual make for a much higher level of spiritual development. If you get either one of these things out of balance, and frankly they're out of balance everywhere, right? And I will talk about that. Um, If you get any of these principles, these gender principles, out of balance, you get uh, lots of repercussions from that. A good example is when you... Get the masculine principle out of balance, you wind up with patriarchy, which we've been suffering under for, I don't know, thousands of years. Right? You get the you know get you get this um, individualistic dominated culture, which is set up as a you know very much as a hierarchy. Right? You always have you have your religious structures, your political structures, your uh, even your you know community structures set up with one person on top and a couple of you know somewhat less powerful people under them and then you know the majority of the people have no power no say no voice you know we used to forbid people from learning latin and require that all all bibles were written in latin um to keep people ignorant and only the learned few um very very wealthy people could um could access what was, you know, their only outlet for spirituality? Okay, so that's, you know, that's super out of whack, right? there's no, um, no movement, you know, there's no movement for bringing people up. There's there's a movement for keeping people down, um, and it's about power over and not power with, and that is that is way out of balance, and we've been there for way too long. The pendulum is swinging back. We always move from individualistic to collective and then back again, and we've seen some minor movements that way. Um, obviously, the '60s were a big upheaval of of that system, uh, you know, with the hippies and the peace movement and civil rights movement, and a lot of those movements were about that feminine principle of pulling others up, right? Um, again, out of the out of whack sort of side of the feminine is, um, you know, uh, you know, shows up in political systems like um, oppressive communistic r- regimes, right? Which are, you know, again, they can have a, um, a patriarchal structure because they, you know, definitely have people on top. Um, but you know, instead of pulling people up, they serve to they serve to push people down and make everybody the same, but make people, um, you know, not get better. Like if you stand out from the crowd, you're going to be repressed. And um, so both sides are capable of a great deal of repression. Both sides are capable of a great deal of violence. Um, and so that's not good. So either way, things are out of whack. So there is there is gender. There's passive and active in everything. And one of the great goals of um, divinity, the alchemical process of reaching our own, you know, our own, our own divine spark, you know, identifying more and more, um, you know, my hopes, there's lots of different types of spiritual development, but my aim is always to more and more identify with the divine aspects of myself. and, you know i hope that i hope that is true for other people as well um and take a really balanced approach to that so you've got to balance those you've got to balance those things out you have to balance personal development with pulling other people up as well with uh the eros and the agape two sides two sides of the same coin um so i want to talk uh, I want to talk about a TV show I've been watching, um, and I haven't read the books, but now I'm inspired to read the books. But there's a show that's available on HBO right now called His Dark Materials, and it's based on a book series by the same name. Um, and you might have seen that or seen the Golden Compass, which is, I guess, one of the books in the series. But I'm prompted to go back and read read the books from from watching the series. I realized that that's probably the logical opposite way of doing things, but um, whatever works. And uh, this isn't a really interesting piece of fiction. Uh, the, it is, in my opinion, pregnant with symbolism, with deep spiritual meaning. There's a lot of political stuff in there. It, it's obviously very entertaining, uh, very well done. The acting is great. The, the, you know, the way it's put together is great. What's important to me is that, you know, if you're not familiar with the series, it takes place in this alternate universe where there is this patriarchal system that's ruling the government called the magisterium, which is a thinly veiled uh, allegory to, um, you know, the, when the church ran the government. Uh, and um, they, you know, they run things from a very patriarchal, patriarchal perspective and their their leaders are sort of priests and bishops and they're all males and and that sort of thing very you know obviously similar to our to our own history and in this universe um humans are you know their soul part of their soul anyway takes uh takes the form of an animal so um this is different than a power animal I'll explain how in a in a moment but you know the, Humans walk around with this animal companion, but it's part of their soul. If they die, the animal disappears. If the animal is killed, the person dies, and you know, vice versa. So they're intimately connected. Um, it bears noting that the animal, um, at least in the series I'm watching on TV, um, is normally the opposite gender of the human. Now I haven't seen any um, transgender individuals in this show, so I don't know how you know or if that if that shows up in the books at all, and or how that how that works out. Um, if it's a you know if this is a principle, but it's just something that I noted, and it reminds me of this concept. There's this concept in uh, Norse spirituality, uh, Northern European spirituality, that shows up in Celtic spirituality as well there's the idea of the fetch which is this spirit that is part of you know the the Norse idea there's this very complex um they call it soul comp. i guess soul complex for lack of a better term it's like your your spirit your soul is made up of all of these different identified pieces one of those is uh, in in English we'd call it the fetch in, I believe, ancient Norse. It's called the Filgia, or Filia, F-Y-L-G-I-A. And uh, the way that shows up in um, Norse spirituality is that it either takes the form of an animal, or it takes the form of a spirit that is the opposite gender of the person. Um, In my understanding, and I'm not, I'm certainly not an expert, but my understanding is that this is a spirit, an opposite gender spirit in Celtic um, beliefs that shows up when, uh, if one sees it, one is about to die, or one is close to death, or one is on, you know, in mortal danger, that sort of thing. Um, Very shamanic, right? Because in in shamanism, um, you know, when you you shift realities you can start start to see spirits like you know there's this we know scientifically there's this mental shift in in brain states now we know because we have eeg equipment but we didn't we didn't know thousands of years ago that if you had a lots of theta brain waves that you would be able to start to see spirits um we just knew that if you drummed or took certain plants or or sang for really long periods of time or did certain dances that that would occur, um, but what's happening in all of these cultures is people are shifting their brains into a state where they are receptive. They're in a, a what we call a divine feminine state, receptive to um, impressions from the spirit world. Um, so this concept this concept exists, um, and I don't know for sure if the author, you know, made that up out of the collective unconscious. Mm-hmm. If he used materials from other spiritual systems when he wrote his books or whatever, it would be really interesting um, for me to dive into that at some point. Um, I highly recommend the series. Um, Again, I haven't read the books, but I hear wonderful things about them from people that I know. So uh, check it out if you get get the chance. It's called His Dark Materials. So I believe that Carl Jung, the um, Carl you know Carl Jung uh was a uh western he represents the western shamanic impulse right so the psychoanalyst who was contemporary of freuds and then went off and did his own thing and is responsible for terms like complex like psychological complex and collective unconscious and archetype like becoming you know defined the way they are and coming into popular Ideation and he definitely went through. If you read his life story and his autobiography, you he he definitely went through shamanic initiation, he was definitely experiencing shamanic states, he was channeling divine information when he came up with all of this thing. And it's important to recognize that the word psyche, which is the root of psychology, psychiatry, all of those things. To us, it means mind. In ancient Greek, the word psyche actually means spirit. So, um, you know, when he, when he talks about psychoanalysis, he's actually talking about analyzing the human spirit. But Carl Jung came up with this idea of animus and anima, which meant that, um, you know, we have, and again, going back to this, these components of the human soul, um, we have parts, right and you have experienced parts of yourself coming forward throughout your life um, you know there are parts that might for example take over when you are angry uh, if you've ever done something and gone gosh that's not like me right it may be that there's this part that you're not in touch with um, that is uh, you know you're you're just not aware of but but it's it's a part of your psychological makeup, your soul makeup. And, uh, you know, there's parts that he came up with that everybody has called animus and anima, right? Animus being the masculine and anima being the feminine, right? Um, This is a part of you that is your opposite gender. It is so all... Males have an anima, and all females have an animus. So we all have that side to us. And um, so the so the interesting question is: What if you are? Um, what if you don't identify with your, um, you know, the the gender you were assigned at birth, or the, your biological gender, or you've changed genders, or that sort of thing? My take. And I am not an expert on animus and or anima. Is that um, this part of you takes on the opposite part that you identify with most closely psychologically? So um, I identify. I was born a male. I identify as male. I have an anima, um, which is a feminine, a feminine part of my soul, a feminine aspect of my soul. Um, if I, I. I believe this to be true, but if I identified as a female, even though I was born as a male and have the genetics of a male, um, I would probably have an animus, which is the masculine side. Because, again, there's the, the principle that there is gender, that there's masculine and feminine in everything. It's not, it is not there is masculine or feminine in, in everything. Um, and that is an important distinction. The principle is that there is masculine and feminine in everything. Now, what about people who are gender fluid or non-binary or don't identify with a particular gender? To be honest, I don't know. I would be very, very curious to find out. I would be um, more than curious to find out. I would be really happy to um, work with somebody who is uh, gender fluid or non-binary to um, figure out what those parts of themselves are. maybe it's complex, maybe it's something uh, unexpected. Um, m- my guess is that there are there are parts that sometimes are more masculine, sometimes are more feminine. And again, this isn't about the cultural overlays of masculine and feminine. This isn't about you know boys wear blue girls wear pink. This is about um, this is about the soul parts of yourself, the parts parts, and again, um, you know we talk about we talk about parts of a whole right it's important to go back to the unity it's important to go back to the divinity. your divine self is is one it's inseparable, but then it sort of divides itself so the one story is that um God or the universe or everything or source whatever whatever name you want to call it by um wanted to, you know, was was everything there is and wanted to experience, wanted to have certain experiences. And so the universe was created. And in that universe is all kinds of diversity. Um, But first there was, you know, basically there was nothing and then there was the one thing and that split into two things. This is from the the Tao and I'm paraphrasing because I do not have um, Lao Tzu memorized, but this is, you know, the 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 nothing became the one thing, the one thing became two things. The two things became the ten, you know, they say the ten thousand things. Ten thousand's just a number that means like more things than you can count, right? Became everything. And the two things in this case are yin and yang, are these these principles, these divine, this is when the 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 you know, the driving principle of the universe, the divinity of the universe, split itself into active and passive so that it could create. Which brings me to creation, which brings me to manifestation, right? So there's, and I realize in the animal kingdom there, and and in the plant kingdom and and in other kingdoms, um, there is the idea of asexual reproduction, um, and i'm not a biologist, so I could not you know I could not divide that up necessarily to into how that works on a masculine and feminine principle perspective but there is there has to be that principle for creation to happen um interesting to note I read recently that funguses uh sometimes have up to five genders and they you know, fungi, particularly mushrooms, um, do reproduce sexually. Um, even if, you know, you, you, think of, you think of fungus as not, you know, multiple organisms, but they produce um, different types of, um, you know, spores and mycelium and that sort of thing that have, that, have, um, that have different genders and interact with each other to create that genetic diversity. When you think about creation, you think about biological creation, um, you know, at least on the animal kingdom level and the ma- mammal level, we've got, you know, the sperm and the egg coming together, the masculine and the feminine. The sperm being the active component, the feminine being the receptive component, right? We don't have to say passive, we can say receptive. And without that, you don't get, you don't get life. You don't get, um, you know, we, we need both components. So from a manifestation component, you know, perspective, from a spiritual manifestation perspective. Um, You know, manifestation's a hot topic ever since The Secret came out however many years ago. You need both the active and the receptive component of manifestation to bring things about in the universe. Um, How that takes place in your life, that's a topic for another day. That's a very big topic. Obviously, there's, you know, you can... Probably if you type manifestation into Amazon, you'll get a bazillion results. But um, you need both of those components. You need to have uh, an active intention, and then you need to be receptive to what comes your way and and actually be able to receive that for manifesting anything in the universe. Um, intention is a very masculine tool. So in... Um, in shamanism, when we journey, so I journey using uh, drum most of the time, sometimes rattle, but most of the time I journey using a drum, which means I go into an altered state and I do some work with helping spirits on behalf of myself or other people or the community or I, I go there to I, you know travel in non-ordinary reality to um, gather information or get healing, that sort of thing. So the intention, I you always journey with an intention, right? I'm going to meet with my helping spirits to do X, Y, Z. That's masculine principle. That's a masculine principle of spirit. But then I have to become, once I have that intention set, I have to become receptive. I have to be able to enter into the trance state using the drum or whatever method you, you use to enter trance state. Some people dance. Um, some te- people take plant medicine, whatever your method is, you have to be receptive to that or it's not going to be effective. So you have, to, you have to embody both masculine and feminine principles in your spirituality. And so that, you know, spiritual work takes place is much more effective when you ab- embrace both sides, when you embrace the active and the receptive, the masculine and the feminine um, it's super, super important. Um, you know, one last thing I'll talk about before before I leave you this time is, um, you know, so I sit with a lot of shamanic circles. I have taught um, numerous classes. I have taken um, years and years and years of training. And in my experience, um I am frequently either the only man in the room or one of very few. Um, you know, I think the most number... So, you know, let's say I, you know, I, I went and I took a class. I went and took a class on, you know, teaching, teaching shamanic journey to others um, years ago. Um, I think there were two other men in that class of about 24 people. And that was the highest ratio i 've ever experienced in any class I've taught any training I've given any um, class I've taken that's been the highest ratio so there's this sort of um, mystery to me that i'm I'm plumbing the depths of of why more men don't get involved in this type of work um in and it's not just shamanic work any type of spiritual work when i do uh, i i used to before pre-pandemic i used to hold uh, meetups for um, what we called spiritually conscious professionals which were people out in the world who were practicing any form of spirituality and wanted to come have conversations with like-minded people and you know frequently maybe maybe one one man out of 10 or 12 or 16 or 20 people would show up to these meanings so i don't think it's just shamanism i think it's um lots of forms of non-traditional non-western non um church spirituality there are very very few men doing this work um it's a, you know i understand part of it uh but part of it is a mystery to me and it's tough because um it's it's a little unbalanced. I would love to see more men do this work. I think it is important. Um, My take, and I'm not 100% sure, my take on why more men don't do this work is, A, it's a cultural thing. Uh, We do not train men through our through, you know, particularly culture in the U.S., the Western culture that is prevalent in the U.S., and I realize the U.S. is a very multicultural place, Um, but there's still this cultural force in the U.S. that um, men don't do this kind of thing, right? And um, for lots of different reasons. Shamanism is also going to put you in touch with some really deep feelings, and again there 's this cultural thing where it 's not acceptable it's it 's changing thank goodness for that where it 's not acceptable for men to have um, deep feelings deep feelings of grief or sadness or love or you know this agape feeling of love of community where you pull everybody up that 's one that 's one aspect you know cult, you know that culture pushing that thing down and gosh, uh, any sort of, any sort of shamanic initiation, shamanic training is going to make you confront that stuff. It's going to pull it up. I have, um, I have cried in circle, um, ugly tears. I have ugly cried in circle and it, I got to tell you, I'm, you know, I'm a fairly sensitive, emotionally vulnerable man. And that is super uncomfortable for me where, um, you know and and it I have to confront that in myself. I have to say, why is that uncomfortable for me? Why is that not okay? Why is it okay if a woman i 'm sitting in circle with like touches something s- touches some deep trauma in her life and you know cries about it, and everybody's comforting her, but I feel uncomfortable if that happens to me um, that's work I need to do and and wow what a what a treasure that is to discover that, what a treasure for me to discover. Uh, the way the cultural forces have, pushed, you know, made me push stuff into my shadow and and start to confront that stuff. So I do wish more men would be become involved with this work. The other side of that coin, right? The other the other aspect that I see happening is that um, uh, shamanic practice practice in particular, and lots of alternate forms of spirituality are non-patriarchal, right? We do not have a hierarchy. We do not have authority. I mean, we have uh, you know, by authority people who have authority are people who've practiced for a long time and are elders that we go to for wisdom. Um, But there's not a structure. There's no pope and bishops and cardinals and that sort of thing. Right? It is not pyramid-shaped. It is circular. And I honestly think that, at least on a subconscious level, a lot of men are uncomfortable with that. There is pressure. You think about the 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 uh, phenomena of mansplaining, right? There's a phenomena, um, you know, the alpha male concept, where men feel pressure to be the smartest person in the room, the most powerful person in the room, to stand out in some way, and you know, when you sit in circle, you have to set that aside, and um, I think that can be uncomfortable for for a lot of men. Um, you know, you approach everybody, including spirit, as equals, and so that is, um, you know, that gets away from that pyramid structure, that hierarchy, that patriarchal structure. And I think it's so ingrained. It's so ingrained in everything we do. You look at the way we set up companies. Um, You look at the way we have schools with principals and vice principals and department heads and teachers and all those things. You look at universities where we have you know presidents of universities and then we have boards of directors and we have deans and we have tenured professors and we have you know, almost every cultural structure we have is a pyramid. And you know shamanism and some of these alternate forms of spirituality, and, and when I mean alternate, I just mean historically um, historically not the dominant spiritual culture. I don't I don't I don't take shamanism as alternate to anything. It is my it is my way of um being spiritual. Um I just mean it's not it hasn't been the dominant paradigm in the culture I live in for my life for my lifetime um and for many generations back. Okay. So I don't mean any I, and I don't mean to denigrate anybody's form of spirituality. I'm just trying to point out things that I'm experiencing, okay? If you are um, happy in a patriarchal religious structure, then power to you. And that, if that empowers you and you are not disempowering anybody else, then fantastic. That's absolutely, that's absolutely great. Where we get into trouble is where you feel the need to disempower others, Um, and that is not a place of power. That's actually a place of fear. It's a place of weakness. If you, if you feel like you need to, um, repress other people or oppress other people or put other people down or look at them as less than and not equal to, that's where we're going to run into some problems. And that, again, that's a place of fear, not power. Okay. And so, um, again, onto the sort of divine masculine, divine feminine. The the divine masculine being these arrows, this ability to pick oneself up as a unit and develop and evolve and become closer to spirit and identify more with the undying divine spirit that is the spark inside you at the core of your being and the spirit of agape, which is this love, this collective I'm, you know, I'm divine, you're divine. Let's bring everybody together. Those things working in tandem are are pretty unstoppable. It's pretty amazing. Is it a challenge to balance those things in your life? Absolutely, 100%. That if everybody had that perfect, we would all be enlightened beings, I guess, or something. Uh, something along those lines. It is always... You know, to me, my spirituality, my spiritual development is always a work in progress. I don't believe I'll ever say that I'm done. Not in this lifetime, certainly. Maybe not in 10,000 lifetimes. I don't know. Um, But I actually like that. I actually like that I'm a work in progress, right? Because um, I do not float on clouds. Um, I do not ride a unicorn to uh, go to circle any of those things. I am, um, uh, you know, the inside of me, the divine part of me, is as perfect as everyone else, which is absolutely perfect, whole, complete, and unbroken. And the human parts of me are just as flawed, broken, mess as anybody else. And so, how can I, how could I identify with anyone? How could I, um, how could I be on that level of agape if I? can't get down in the muck, um, with anyone that I'm working with, with anyone that I'm helping. If I can't talk about my trauma, my pain, my wounds, um, that sort of thing. So, uh, with that, I'm going to bring this podcast to an end. I hope that you'll subscribe and listen as I, as I move on in the future. As I stated in my first episode Um, my hope is that this will expand that in the future I will interview other people. So I'm not just listening to the sound of my voice and you're not just listening to the sound of my voice, but that I will bring in other perspectives with people with more, um, more and different knowledge than I have. And, um, that sort of thing. And I hope to grow, you know, my real hope is to grow a community out of this, you know, podcast and the other things that I'm doing. I will say, and here's the, here's the pitch, I guess, if there is a, if there is a pitch here, um, I hope, A, I hope you will subscribe. Um, B, coming up in uh, March of 2021, I will be doing a first, I will be, first of all, am uh, teaching an intro to shamanic journeying class online. Um, I have taught probably dozens of those um, in person, but because of the pandemic, Um, that's just not possible. It's not possible to sit in a room with, you know, with 20 people and drumming and journaling safely at this point. I hope, uh, it's something I absolutely love doing. So I hope to restore that once the pandemic is under control. So I will be, um, in March, I will be teaching over, over a weekend, um, a two day online, uh, intro to shamanic journeying class. If some if it's something you've ever wanted to learn, um, the second part of that that's new for me is I will be teaching with three other amazing shamanic teachers. Um, it's you know it's a fantastic opportunity for me to experience other people's teaching styles, how they interact with students, and um, uh, you know, I think it's a great opportunity for anybody who takes the class to get, gosh, to get four different perspectives, and um, the learning really kind of goes in that way. So you can get more information about this course. There's a banner at the top of my website. If you click on it, it will take you to info about the class, which has registration and everything. And I am at main Shaman, M A I N E S H A M A N dot com. That's com, And if you just want to go find more information about me, um, read articles, look at other episodes of this podcast, you can go there as well. Um, I do have a link to the podcast at the top, which should have every episode. This is episode number two, so if you're interested in listening to episode number one, you can go there or find me on everywhere where you find podcasts. I hope that you're having a fantastic new year. I hope to see the end of this pandemic soon. Um, it's my my intention. I know that um, every shamanic practitioner I've talked to sees this whole global pandemic as um, an opening to an opening to uh, initiate. It's a, it's a call to shamanic initiation, and and I don't just mean like people need to everybody needs to start studying shamanism. It is a call, it's a crisis, it's a call to do inner development for the entire planet. And, um, you know, if some good can come out of this, that, that might be a part of it. It might be a part of, you know, um, you know while recognizing the lives lost, the lives interrupted, you know, the, the effect on the world uh, in general is pretty horrific when you look at it. Um, You know, if we can get good out of this, it's about how we can pull together, how we can individually develop, how we can be stronger apart and together, um, that sort of thing. So with that, I will leave you and I will hope that you will continue to join me in the future. You have been listening to Speaking Spirit, with your host, John Moore. For more info, or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com, that's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.